0: You're listening to Matt Walsh, On Demand. The IRS is the most feared agency in the world. You've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over $10,000. Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe they'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-579-4967 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800 579 4967
1: All right everyone welcome to the uh, Matt Walsh podcast I must remind you up front that I have a, a new book coming out go to unholytrinitybook.com unholytrinitybook.com and uh, by the way, if you like these podcasts, if you like my articles, uh, whatever I do, if you like it for whatever reason, can't imagine why you would. Remember that I also, uh, well, I also groom alpacas, as, as you know. But aside from that, I also do uh, speaking events. I'm very versatile in that way. So I do speaking events. Um, and you can email me at this address, contact at com. contact at com in order to book me for a speaking event. Uh, make sure to put, you know, speaking event in the subject line so I know what you're talking about. Okay. Now, what I'd like to do is kind of extend upon a piece that I wrote for the Blaze this week. And um I start with this thought that has been on my mind a lot recently. Uh this thought. Um that this country is very dangerous for Christians. It's very dangerous. And you know, when you say that, people kind of roll their eyes and they say, "Really? America is dangerous for Christians?" You know, what about us? what about Syria or Iraq? Is, is it not dangerous there? Is it dangerous in comparison to that? Um, and of course, I don't mean that it's dangerous in the same way that it's dangerous to be a Christian in Syria or Iraq or anywhere else in the Middle East or North Africa or uh, you know, at any other point in history uh, in so many other parts of the world where, where Christians were historically persecuted. Um, almost everywhere at some point they've been persecuted. And uh, it, it, But it's not dangerous in the same way. It's not physically dangerous. But I still think, in fact, that it's more dangerous. And I say that with all due, due respect to, to, the, to the, the persecuted and the martyrs, not to, dim- to diminish at all what they have gone through and what they are going through. But physically, those places are much more dangerous than us. However, spiritually, uh, being in a place where there's outright persecution may be the safest place on earth, spiritually. Spiritually. Because we know that the greatest spiritual danger we face as Christians is the prospect of finding out when it's already far too late that we were never really Christian at all. That's what it really all comes down to. How do we really define? How do we define Christian? What does that mean to be a Christian? And I would say that a Christian, very simply, is one who loves Christ. Nobody who loves Christ can go to hell. I think it's as simple as that. Not as easy as that. Not easy, not easy, but simple. If you love Christ, then you go to heaven. There there is nobody in hell who loves Christ. That's the very definition of hell. So as for Christians who know Christ, but don't love him, what sort of culture is best designed to produce those sorts? I would say that ours. And that's why I say that our culture is extremely dangerous for Christians. Um, Because it's very easy in our country to have a false faith and not know it. And and let me explain why. I imagine it's rather easy for a Christian in in the midst of violent persecution to know whether his faith is sincere. And I mean easy only in the sense that the test is simple. More than likely, anyone who claims a belief in Christ, a love of Christ, despite knowing that such a belief may bring immediate death to him and is certain at the very least to result in great suffering, that person must actually hold that belief and have that love. And this, I think, is, by the way, one of the most convincing rationales, uh, logical proofs that you can provide for the New Testament. Because the men who spread this tale, the tale of Christ resurrecting from the dead, these men said they witnessed such things. It wasn't wasn't, uh, the original ones, the original apostles who went throughout the land saying, you know, preaching Christ whether it was the, 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 the apostles that walked with Christ during his earthly ministry or, or Paul, who, who, uh, who saw Christ on the, on the road to Damascus and then had other visions of him throughout his life. All of these people said that, you know, I, I experienced the resurrected Christ. I know that this is true because I've seen it. That's what they said. Now, why, why would they make up such a lie knowing that it would almost certainly result in persecution and death? It it defies logic. Many men have died for lies, uh, but nobody will die for what he knows is a lie. You're not going to do that. The only reason you make up a lie like this is to benefit yourself. The only reason that you pretend to believe something that you don't believe is to benefit yourself temporarily on earth. Uh, the reason why you would pretend to believe something you don't believe is is uh, is uh, to escape persecution, not to put yourself in the midst of it. So I think about the Christian facing modern persecution. Um, he's sure to gain nothing in this life. A Christian in North Africa, the Middle East, stands to lose everything just by saying he believes. So why would he say it then if it weren't true? true that he believes, I mean. A person may pretend to the world and to himself that he's Christian, but he will drop the pretense in an instant if it becomes hazardous to his health. He'll drop it for reasons much less severe than that, in fact. So Christ tells us what genuine discipleship looks like. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Daily. Every day. take it up again and for persecuted christians this takes on a very direct connotation for them uh to to even so much as say they're christian is itself a self-denial an act of literally accepting the cross as we're told that we must Uh, whatever he may selfishly gain from feigning belief is drastically outweighed by what he loses so he doesn't and he wouldn't feign it he holds on to his belief even until death, only if it's rooted in the deepest part of his soul. And so he knows. Very few Christians, I think, who live in the middle of a situation like that will be surprised when they die. They, they already know about themselves. They know what they believe. It's been put to the test, to the ultimate test. And they either, they either passed it or they failed it. But what about us? You know, as I said in my piece this week, my greatest fear for our country, where still some, I don't know, I think it's 83% of us say that we're Christian. My great fear is that uh, in the end, we'll find out that few of us really were. And I do think the conditions in our culture are perfectly designed, not necessarily to lead us into into atheism. Although that's also a risk, but that's not really the biggest risk is that we'll become atheists. Because, look, although 83% Christian, I think, claim Christianity, um, the numbers are down, certainly, from what they were. There are more atheists now in America, probably in the world, than there have ever been. But still, this country is predominantly Christian. Predominantly, according to the, the surveys. So, atheism is not the great risk. False faith is the great risk. And a false faith, as I talked about in my piece, is infinitely worse than a total lack of faith. Because at least the the guy, you know, someone with no faith at all realizes that he has no faith. And so there's always a a chance that he could come to develop a faith, that he could come to love God uh, at, at some point in his life. But someone who thinks they already love God may never come to actually love God because he thinks he already does. And God will continue sending invitations to him. But those invitations will be, sent, will be thrown out because the man will tell himself, well, I've already RSVP'd to this one. Why do you keep sending invitations? God, I've already said yes. But he hasn't said yes. And he doesn't realize that he hasn't said yes. And my worry is that many of us will be in some way surprised to find out that we belong to this category. And if this revelation occurs a moment after we've drawn our last breath, as it will for many of us, then it'll be too late. We're doomed. But if it occurs at any moment prior, even just one moment prior, we can still, you know, theoretically be saved. I I say theoretically because it's, you know, not as easy as that. A person could be saved in their last breath. They can come to repentance. They can come to belief. They can come to love God in their last breath. But that, but you know that, that that's a very difficult. I, I have to imagine, be a very difficult thing to do. If you if you've lived your entire life in sin, in rejecting God, to come to a true belief and a true faith in the last moment, that isn't just entirely you know uh, motivated by your 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 imp, your fear of death but it's but actually sincere, it'd be a very difficult thing for someone to do uh, because they've so conditioned themselves to reject God and to completely shed all of that conditioning in an instant is, well, I'm not going to call it, say it, it's, nothing is impossible with God, but it's certainly very difficult. Um, so I just, I wonder how how often most of us step back and ask ourselves, do we really believe this stuff? And if we do, why is our faith so aimless and so uh, dispassionate? Why are we not breaking down in tears over our sin, over our wickedness? Why why aren't we overcome with grief because of it? If you really believe that there is an eternal God in the universe looking at you, Directly, inviting you in, and you look at all the horrible things that you've done, how you've rejected the invitation, and all the ways that you have disgraced yourself in the sight of God, how does that not bring you to tears? How does that not bring us to tears? Why aren't we crying out for repentance? Why aren't we jumping for joy over the mercy of our perfectly loving God? Why are we living in a way that almost exactly mirrors those who have no faith and don't claim one. Why is it so impossible to distinguish the Christian from the, from the agnostic in this country? I mean, have you, have you thought about that? Ask yourself this question. If you were not Christian, how would your life be any different? Would you really be living any differently if you weren't Christian? Would anything in your life really be all that different? Maybe you wouldn't have a Christmas tree in your, living room uh, you know in December maybe you still would actually but you know maybe you wouldn't watch Kirk Cameron movies I don't know but other than that as far as how you live and how you carry yourself on a day-to-day basis would it really be any different and I think for a lot of us it wouldn't and if we really believe then why wouldn't it? why do we complain all the time you know that going to church is a chore why do we make excuses not to pray not to read the bible Why are we afraid to endure even the most minor insult or setback for the sake of proclaiming Christ? Why have we forfeited almost every moral doctrine of our faith in favor of the world's increasingly pagan doctrine? Why have we done this if we really believe, if we really love God? So I want to elaborate again on this, although I I did already in my piece, but um, here's how, and, and, and I think this is how and why. Our culture creates false faith, and there are two things. And I'm repeating myself a little bit, but hopefully expanding on the thought because I think it's very important. So, first, our country is Christian. Our country is Christian in custom, but not in practice. The majority of our citizens still claim the faith, uh, which means that you see Christmas decorations, and and every neighborhood has a church or four. And, People can become multimillionaires by making Christian movies and Christian music and even by becoming, quote unquote, Christian pastors. That's why we can't claim some kind of widespread persecution of the church in America. You can still become a multimillionaire. Look, countries that persecute Christians don't turn them into multimillionaires also. You you can't have it both ways. And that's a fact. You can be a, quote unquote, Christian pastor, become a multimillionaire. And so people feel that uh, they're Christian if they claim to be and if they hang the Christmas decorations and maybe on occasion attend one of those churches or at least think about attending sometimes when the mood strikes. And maybe they listen to some of the music and watch the movies and movies, and maybe watch Joel Osteen on TV sometimes if there's nothing else on. And they think, well, that's what it means to be a Christian because that's what the culture says. They, they develop an impression of Christianity that mirrors how our culture presents it, a, pleasant, a, a, a collection of pleasant sentiments and holidays and popular sayings. And so they go on being Christian, quote unquote, in the most luxurious sense of the word. But if they were being honest, again, they'd have to admit that they aren't living much differently than how they would live if they weren't Christian. After all, they probably still celebrate Christmas because Christmas is fun. They may still listen to Joel Osteen types, uh, types of preachers because it makes them feel good Anyway. They may even still pretend to adopt a few nominally Christian sayings as their philosophy of life because it makes them seem charitable and generous in front of the world, and they like that. Whatever pieces of Christianity they've picked up, they've only picked up because of how it serves them, not how it serves God. They don't care about that. And then here's the second aspect. So that's one thing that makes it tricky, can lead us into false faith. But the second one, um, and this is where it gets complicated. Our country is Christian in custom, but it's also still hostile to Christianity, authentic Christianity anyway. So while, quote unquote, being Christian in America may still profit you emotionally even financially, it can also, on the other side, make you the subject of scorn and ridicule. Being Christian can cost you in some ways occasionally it may cost you severely think about the business owners who've lost their livelihood for refusing to take part in gay weddings and so forth but the majority of us are not yet faced with that for us the most we have to endure for our faith are, you know sarcastic remarks on facebook uh snide glances frowny face emojis our lives aren't threatened our livelihoods aren't threatened for the most part We're not being spat on in the street. We aren't experiencing complete social alienation. And so the danger is that, you know, this is what I'm talking about, this weird kind of almost paradoxical um, dichotomy between the fact that our culture has this kind of pleasant and nice uh, presentation of christianity that it tries to bring us into and at the same time it doesn't like christians but look at look at what the anti-christian forces in our culture have done it's very different from what the anti-christian forces in other cultures throughout history have done or instead of saying well you can't be christian you shouldn't be christian what they say is you should be this type of christian they say oh we're not opposed to christianity we love christianity but uh, only this type and this type over here, this is the true type and that's the type you should be. So we don't want, we're not going to make you renounce your faith. We're not going to torture you. We're not going to kill you. Oh, not at all. No, we, we just want you to be this type of Christian and anyone who doesn't go along with that. Well, then they get the, the scorn and ridicule. And there's this uh, perfect storm of self delusion that appears Our culture presents a very comfortable form of Christianity while also throwing, you know, random and minor discomforts at those who adopt a truer truer form of it. And so you have some people who go over to the comfortable form and some of us who maybe don't as much, or maybe we do, but then we kind of develop this arrogance where we think we're martyrs. Because those of us who don't adopt the comfortable form, the liberal form of Christianity, what happens to us? Again, I mean, there are exceptions where people have really, truly been persecuted and, uh, and, and have had to make real sacrifices in this country. Maybe not their lie. They, you know, they don't sacrifice their life, but they had to sacrifice their livelihood. And that's a big deal. And maybe that will happen more. I mean, I think it's very possible. It's very possible that it will happen more. But on the other hand, maybe it won't because there's no reason. The, again, the people who hate Christianity in our culture, there's no reason for them to persecute us because they're having so much success in getting us to abandon the true faith in favor of this fake one they've made up. So what's the? They no reason to. They've no reason to adopt any other strategy. But anyway, the, those of us who maybe stand our ground a little bit, um, what do we have? What happens to us for the most part? You know, if you, if you look at your own life and hopefully you have stood your ground on your faith, but what's been the consequence of that? I mean, what really has been the consequence of that? You haven't been put in jail. You haven't probably haven't lost your job. Maybe you've lost a few Facebook friends, um, you know, and, and, and that's pretty much it. But, uh, but we get this impression and we tell ourselves, that our faith has been so truly tested and proven. And we think that you know that we are that that we are uh, martyrs. I'm not really joking about the Facebook thing because I have been in many conversations with Christians who regale me with uh, stories of of um, of enduring, you know attacks from five or six people on their Facebook page because they you know they said something about the bible or whatever and now they think that their cause for canonization should be taken up immediately and some of these are good christians but they're deluding themselves and they and they're developing a false confidence in their own faith thinking that they've stood against the you know the uh, the slings and arrows but there haven't been very many slings and arrows and it's really not that hard in this country to endure those kinds of slings. Oh, so you know, some people say mean things to you. Who cares? I mean, they're not—they're not attacking you as you walk down the street. That's not happening. You're not getting flogged. You're not getting bent over a post and uh, and whipped, so that your skin is peeling off of your back. That's not happening. And the people that make fun of you for being Christian. Again, there are still 83% of the nation that pretends to be Christian themselves. So they would pretend to be on your side at least. So this false confidence appears. And that's the other part of this, that we live in a very tribal culture. So while any profession of faith may attract uh, hateful attacks from one side, it's sure to earn you praise from the other. Not because the people praising you agree with your religious views, but simply because they hate the people attacking you for them. So then the question is, are you professing your faith in spite of the hateful attacks or because of the praise? And that can be a difficult question to, to answer. And so that's the situation in America. Uh, you have very many who have adopted the comfortable form of Christianity that's been given to them by the world and in so doing have doomed themselves if they don't repent of it and turn back to a true, to a true faith. If they stay in that faith, they're very likely doomed. Their souls are doomed. Um, and then you have many of the rest of us who think we're martyrs, because uh, not only because of the you know mean comments we hear from people here and there, but also because we because the bar is so low. The bar has been lowered to the point where it's basically subterraneous now, and so we get over that bar, and we think, well, we you know we're the greatest Christians in the world. I mean all you have to do now is go to church every Sunday and you're in like the top you're in the you're in like one percent you're in the one percenters of Christians who even do that much and so then you start to think well maybe uh maybe we'll be judged on kind of a bell curve yeah our our faith may not stack up against so many other Christians throughout history but it certainly stacks up against these idiots over here. So we should be safe, right? I mean, God can't, do, can't d- condemn us all to hell, can he? He can't condemn an entire country, an entire society, an entire civilization. But yes, he can. I'm not saying he will, but I wouldn't rule it out, and he certainly can. The way is narrow. The way is narrow. And narrow is not in comparison to other people, but narrow. Narrow it's the way that he prescribed and you know, this is the path right here. And if, if 99% of the country is walking a thousand miles away from the path and you're only walking a hundred miles away from the path. So you're much closer than them. You're still not on the path. And, and salvation is not about almost, I almost got there. There's no almost heaven. Right. There's no almost saved. You're either, you either are or you aren't. You're either a Christian or you're not. And just because we're more Christian than them doesn't mean we are Christian. So there are a lot of factors working against this. And it requires us to uh, constantly assess ourselves. Not to the point where we're obsessed with ourselves and all we do is obs- assess ourselves, but... It, it does require, on a regular basis, a, a prayerful assessment where we pray to God, you know, God, give me the clarity of heart and mind to see myself for who I am as you see me. And we have to constantly do that. Constantly do it. And if we don't, you know, if we just continue right along, figuring, well, you know, we're almost there, we almost got it we're going to be in trouble it's as simple as that all right uh that's gonna do it for me i'll uh, talk to you guys next time i appreciate that's good